The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Government edition. Hello, Ben Thomas. Hello, Toby. Ben Thomas, you have um, uh, you're at the moment nibbling on a is that a calypso ice lolly thing? What is that? It is. Um, I guess popsicles don't have a high enough profit margin to sell at corner dairies. You have a very good reason anymore. for this, um, however, in that yesterday you were in surgery. I was. I've been I've been wheeled out of surgery for the pod um, after having my apparently enormous tonsils removed. Mm, mm, mm. My, my grade three big boys are <laughs> no longer <laughs> on board. There, <laughs> your big adult tonsils. My large adenoid sons. Yes. Um, Annabelle Lee, hello. Hi. Um, it's nice to see you here, and uh, we have another guest as well. Um, who is uh, making her podcasting debut at an age of... Uh, three weeks old. Three weeks? Mm. Um, Why Mahia Rose. Why Mahia Rose is sitting on your lap, a pudding of a human being, <laughs> really. And um, put her up to the mic, see if she's going to... Let's see if we can get some, oh, some cuteness out did, of her. Did you wake her up, I think? Hey, Wai- <laughs> <laughs> she's grabbing the uh, mic. That's pretty good. Oh, oh what end was that? That was the top end. You'll hear from the other end shortly. Um. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, what happened? Oh, yesterday, Winston Peters appeared um, after a day of waiting of Vietnamese uh, soups for his breakfast lunch of press gallery journalists continuing their... Slightly strange, tortuous. Their limbo-like existence, limbo existence suspended in the lobbies of Parliament and House. The semiotics of neckties. And Winston Peters finally emerged, and he had indeed made a decision. He hadn't told anyone. The decision was: it's going to be Labour. It's a girl. It's a girl. <laughs> it's a queen. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the deal in summary is a Labour New Zealand First coalition with the Green Party offering confidence and supply. And hash cookies. And confidence and supply. Only in the future. (laughs) And and a referendum on hash cookies. A referendum on hash cookies. As part of the arrangement, I believe. (laughs) 
And um, uh, can we just quickly, before we get into this, various people um, have demanded, despite the fact that Madeleine Chapman did a perfectly satisfactory post on the spinoff.co.nz explaining confidence of supply using the metaphor of fuck buddies. Ben, what is the difference between being in coalition proper and being what is called a confidence and supply agreement? So under MMP, the first two governments that we had under MMP were coalition governments. In 1996, uh, Winston Peters formed the first coalition government with the national government. What that means is that the two parties... um, both have ministers inside cabinet, and the two parties together are the government. And so cabinet collective responsibility applies to both of those parties. Right now, you know, when, when you have, um, if you're a member of the National Party, and the National Party has a policy on something, and if the government has a policy on something under a national government, national MPs will have to, you know, have to accord by, with that policy and mm. abide by that policy and promote it as their own. They have to vote for those policies. They can't express a difference of opinion. They can't express fashion. a difference of opinion. Um, if you're in, co- if you're part of that government through a coalition, that means that the minor party and its MPs also have to vote for everything that the government is doing. Right? When you have a confidence and supply uh, arrangement. And that was the that was the arrangement that all of the support parties had with governments from two thousand and five onwards. Mm-hmm. Winston Peters also innovated that system with Labour. This with time. Labour, that that's when the governing party um, can put forward its proposals for legislation, and in the ministerial positions where this confidence and supply party um, you know supplies ministers, they will they are bound by the government's position because that's also their position as the minister. But the, the party doesn't have to vote for government initiatives in other respects, except for the budget and for motions of confidence. And those uh, ministers outside Cabinet will attend Cabinet when matters pertaining to their portfolio are under discussion, but otherwise they won't. Is that right? Yeah, which is the normal situation for ministers outside of Cabinet. So if I may translate that into millennial speak, mm. it's like being polyamorous, mm. and you're the... Like, Labour and New Zealand First are the couple, but Labour's allowed to see the Greens on the side so long as it doesn't clash with their date night with New Zealand First. Yes. New Zealand First, as part of their arrangement, get four cabinet ministers. Four cabinet ministers and And one parliamentary undersecretary. Yes, that's like a little, little, oh, we'll chuck in a parliamentary undersecretary, darling, just, just to sweeten the deal. And and the Greens have three ministers outside cabinet and also parliament and under- one parliamentary undersecretary. Mm, mm. So it was uh, there. There tended to be parliamentary undersecretaries, which is the sort of you're still a backbencher, um, but and and you're not a minister. You don't get all of the kind of perks. Well, actually, the irony is you do get a lot of the perks ministers do. You don't get paid as much, and you don't have a ministry that reports to you. But you, your your job is that you're meant to assist the minister in in their in their role. So David Seymour for ACT was a parliamentary undersecretary. Yes. And that was seen as another way, you know, for the national government and ACT to stay as sort of separately delineated parties, you know, because he was he was clearly not part of cabinet or even a minister. I'm not sure how well it worked out. I think it, it I don't think just, the public generally I don't think much of a distinction is made in, between I mean the Māori Party, didn't they, Annabelle uh, were seen as propping up the national government, mm. 
which they were, whether they were in full formal coalition, confidence or supply, whatever, did it matter? It probably didn't they help perceived? that they kept saying that they were at the table too, which didn't help people to differentiate between being in a full coalition and mm. just um, confidence and supply. It strikes me as being a very elegant solution for the Greens, mm. and I think um, it, it goes to show that Jacinda has, you know, gone out of her way to, to, um, you know, to honour that um, memorandum of understanding that Labour had with the with the Greens prior to the election and um, I think Green voters will have a lot to feel um, pleased about in their supporters and um, yeah it strikes me as being quite a, a fair deal considering that you know New Zealand First have always made a big fuss about not ever going into government with yeah. the Greens it seems yeah, very elegant solution. I thought it looks that way. We haven't seen we haven't seen the actual brass tacks of it yet, have we? No. Um, but it was interesting. I thought that how the Greens just didn't really figure. James Shaw, the remaining co-leader, pretty well kept his head down. You didn't hear much about negotiations going on. There was no one staking those out, as far as we could tell. Mm. And the memorandum of understanding that you mention had been getting a lot of. Had been getting a lot of a lot, a lot of shit poured on it as being you know a waste of space as not being worth the paper it was written on blah, yeah. blah blah. But as it turned out, even though the Greens had that calamitous period, in the end that kind of underpinned. Without that, it may have been a lot harder for New Zealand First to go into a negotiation with Labour without getting the feeling as though it was a shambolic collection of parties. You know that. Yeah. Thing. And I think um, for the Greens, it's a it's a win-win for them because if things turn sour, they can say that they were, you know, that they weren't in cabinet. They were merely supplying confidence, uh, confidence and supply, and they get to keep their their brand slightly separate. If they get good wins, then they can claim credit for those as well. So it seems like a, a good long-term solution for them, and it finally puts to bed a lot of the criticism that we've heard of the about the Greens over the last few months. That you know, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. They've never you know had a ministerial portfolio. So I think it sort of takes care of a swathe of issues for them. In effect, they're in government, though, aren't they? I mean, it's one of those of things course where, you can, where you can, you can, you can, you can, you know, the the semantics of it are such that they can describe themselves, as you say. But with if you take if if they got three ministers and they uh, full four square behind the the Labour Party, it's the, 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 they're in, right? I mean, I mean, it's a it's sort of is it a in, minority government or in, a majority? In two thousand five. Kind of in 2005, when Winston Peters and Helen Clark pioneered this minister's outside government right. idea, um, which is exactly what is happening here with the Greens, um, academics and constitutional experts said, oh, it's impossible. It's a logical impossibility. And yet that's been the form of support that um, parties have offered governments for the past 12 years without any problems. Yeah. So, you know, it is a, it is a neat solution, but it, it may, you know, as Annabelle was talking about earlier with the Māori Party, it may not be the solution that you know that the Greens are hoping for in terms of uh, keeping them sort of adequately differentiated from Labour, in the sense that Winston started off with a coalition government in 1996. Then he came up with this idea of ministers outside of government in 2005, you know, to keep that separation. But you know it, that that didn't really work out, and he seems to have returned to this coalition. 
which I, this coalition idea of actually being fully embedded in the government. Yeah. And I think that is interesting. I can't help but think how bittersweet this must be for Metidia. Yeah. You know, all those years that she was in Parliament and, you know, it was expected that if Labour and the Greens um, did well that she, you know, would get a ministerial portfolio. So, yep. you know, I have no doubt that she's wrapped, that um, the Greens are, are, are finally going to get um, get into that position. It must be, you know, bittersweet for her knowing yeah. that she's, she's missing out. <coughs> it's Excuse a shame. Me. It really is. And because, but, 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 but at the same time, as has been pointed out, she was the, the you know, the, the wings of the butterfly that caused the, the, the rise of Jacinda and um, so you look at the, 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 the concessions that the Greens have got that they sent out to their, their, their um, delegates, there's a lot in there that Materia Tere would be very proud of. Mm. And so, you know, not to be all martyrly about it, but she, she, she really has a legacy there, no? Yes, I agree. We're all looking at Ben. Is that sort of like the, the 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 guy who assassinated Archduke Ferdinand has a legacy? I mean, oh, I you, mean. you know, I, you know, in no, in, no. in the in the, in the no, sense no. that you know, you you couldn't say that this was what Matilda was trying to do at the outset. Um, well, except no, no, but except that she did the the question of putting certain issues onto the table, whatever the aforementioned table of you know bring, well, bring, bring, bringing. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not convinced by that. I think okay. Jacinda Ardern was talking about child poverty, um, you know, for her entire nine years in Parliament. I don't think that it took Matidia, uh, Matidia's sort of stunt um, to get that on the agenda of a, a Labour government. I think that you know Jacinda Ardern had always said she would want to be the Minister of Children in a Labour government. Mm. So I, I don't think that this was something that was suddenly discovered at the Greens uh, campaign launch this year. Such a haterade. <laughs> Do I mean listening? I mean, to I mean, it's a bit like saying that you know Don Brash's legacy is letting John Key become prime minister, right? Um, well, amazing. Comparing Matidia to Don Brash in a structural sense, <laughs> <laughs> in a, and, and in the, and in the, the kind of framework we're talking yeah. about, not in, not yeah. into, but you know. In, right. in terms of sort of the failure of her political career, I don't think you wouldn't. Do you give her credit for that? <laughs> well, I uh. suppose I suppose that um, what she was doing was throwing everything in for mm. some policy gains that she felt really powerfully about, and whether or not they were directly consequential, the the fact that the Greens have ended up in government, which includes things like having done the MOU, includes having done all that policy work. That is surely part of her legacy, and there is something. Even yes, getting Bill says, English to commit to lifting more children out of poverty, you know. Yeah. It, it did become a bit of an election issue, not as big an issue as what it should have, but I think it definitely um, started the conversation. I mean, you could you could accept no that at very least, um, as Annabelle said, it must be bittersweet for Metiria Tune to see. The Greens now, in effect, part of government, which is what she'd wanted to do for so long, but not to be part of that. Yeah, sure. Okay, <laughs> of course. Yeah. We're, we're in agreement. Um, the when Winston got up into the in the Beehive Theatre uh, last night and spoke, and he started talking about capitalism and the ugly face of capitalism, blah blah blah. It seemed very clear 
that he was heading in the direction of Labour and the Greens, and it was as if mm, maybe that was the plan all along, maybe. But depending on which reports you read, it was it was 15 minutes beforehand that he made that decision. I think, in fact, that's what he said. Um, is that true? Do we buy that that it was that it was that it was really came that far down to the wire, or if it was is it always true, that way? If it is true, then he must be like a remarkable speed typer because to bash <laughs> out that speech in less than 15 minutes is. Pretty amazing. Well, I suspect he that he had party here. <laughs> I suspect he had a natural leaning towards Labour all along, and that you know there was a genuine negotiation about what was on offer. But I think his natural leanings yeah. um, were towards Labour because there's just more alignment in their policies. Yeah, you took part, Ben, in the spin-offs collection of people. Um, making predictions. What was it? Were you? Did you? Were you one of those people who went fifty point one? I said fifty one percent national because at oh. that point there were some circumstances under which so Labor couldn't form a government. You got you got it wrong. Which well, no, I think when it, when when Labor picked up the specials um, and Labor and the Greens picked up the specials, then it became fifty fifty. Did you do again. that before the specials? It was before the specials. Oh, okay. So so you were just wrong earlier. I was, I was wrong earlier. Yeah. Can I say that I was right? <laughs> Did you? Were you in that? I picked Jacinda, didn't I, last time we were here? Okay, oh, yeah. you were in that yep. roundup where you, you were probably had a newborn. You picked Jacinda. You did. You did. did. You did. That's mm. true. That's the thing true. is, it was a complete, it was a complete line call, right? If it, you I, genuinely think it was a line call through all those negotiations, I think for the party, you know, yeah. Because remember, this took place in a number of stages. It wasn't just sort of Winston Peters sitting at his desk ruminating. Um, he he has got a caucus that is a much more, I guess, sitting the word would be legi- a legitimate, outside a legitimate caucus than New Zealand First is sitting having in, in his past. car. Um, well, no, I mean, the, you know, these were decisions that involved these were discussions that involved other people, which is not sort of generally how you think of New Zealand First. You sort of think of it as a kind of shell organisation for <laughs> Winston Peters, but this time, you know, they do actually have, you know, quite, you know. Much more assertive, I think, people in their caucus like Tracy Martin, Ron Mark, Shane Jones, people who were expecting ministerial posts, who have an idea of what they want to be doing in government. You know, they're not just there making up the numbers for Peters as some of his caucuses have been in the past. Yes. So, so I think after those initial discussions with his caucus, it probably wasn't clear where they would go. Then they brought in the board, the mysterious board. <laughs> that the board who hath no name. They, they, they found these board members, whether sort of searching them out in ancient caves sort of around the country or mm. signing them up at RSAs the previous night. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure how they all kind of came together in Wellington, but mm. they eventually did. And I don't know if you saw Winston's stand-up afterwards. He looked shattered. Which, when? This what? was after the board uh, d- the board discussion, which no, went all, all, all day. Oh, right. He looked sort of cadaverous. Yeah, he and, and he looked very exasperated. And I think that... Um, He'd be very upset that you said that, I imagine. I mean, he's, look, he's, he's, a, good, he's a handsome man. Oh, and he looked like... Mm. He just, but he looked a bit shaken. And I, I don't think that this was a clear path. And I don't think it was just Winston... Peter's being indecisive. I think that there are genuine, there were genuine clashes within New Zealand First. There were genuine differences of opinion about which which party they should go with. If you look at a guy like Shane Jones, he's clearly he would clearly have been tending towards National. Interesting. Um, Interesting. If if you look at someone like Tracy Martin, at the beginning would have clearly been tending towards Labour. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so I think that there were issues to deal with. I mean, the, all of those factors that we thought of immediately after the election still still hold true, which is, you know, National will be a huge opposition, which would be quite difficult and, and would have only been one party to deal with in government versus, you know, having a, a new government um, with, with Labour and the Greens and the advantages that that has over a sort of legacy government that's already been in for three terms. I think you're right, Ben, and it's not, but it, it's... You know, it's not that those are the, his MPs are hand puppets, but he is a leader in a very kind of old school Maori sense. He is the chief of the New Zealand First Tribe, and it's not a one man band. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I would imagine that what Winston says goes. And of the process itself, there were there was a lot of. A lot of complaints, 7% of the vote, 100% of the power, which is nonsense. Um, this is taking forever, which is nonsense. I mean, Winston Peters did two dumb things. One was pretending that the deadline he'd set, he hadn't done, which he had. And he, mm. could, he, could yeah. have said, he could have said, clearly things have moved and now I need to push that out a bit. You know, let's be grown hey, up cr- about it. But, and then he did that, 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 that extraordinary press conference where he berated the press and kind of fired off all these so those were dumb things but otherwise seems to be fairly responsibly done I don't yeah get but it. that's a, it's a shame because he created a rod for his own back setting such a short deadline and um, and it you know in the end the media were growing frustrated and rightly so because you know he was adamant throughout the election campaign that um, that it would be all done and dusted by the Thursday and he you know, he set himself an impossible target and he, he couldn't deliver. Um, and rightly so, it's an incredibly complicated, complex um, type of negotiation. So I, I, I have little sympathy for him in that regard because he set up that expectation and, um, you know, it was incredibly frustrating for the media and I understand why. How many reporters must have had like aneurysms and heart attacks and stomach <laughs> ulcers developing yesterday you know it would be um you know uh, myself included the amount of times i checked my phone yesterday uh, was crazy but, but but he was right too wasn't he i mean he probably should have anticipated this earlier when he set that writ day um related deadline that um, the specials were crucial because, as you said before, when you we were talking about how you got it wrong in your prediction, Ben, um, the the shifting of those votes and specials were absolutely crucial. If they okay. hadn't moved, then he would have had almost no choice but to go with national. Yeah. Yeah. I, I look. I don't think there was anything wrong with the delay, the, the supposed delay. I mean, what is it? In, in the end, it took three and a half weeks after the election to form a government. You know, un, under the national government, it was pretty easy, right? You but know, that's you, the thing, pe- though, pe- Ben. You're right. Like it, it, it wasn't unreasonable to take three and a half weeks. But when you've repeatedly told the media and the New Zealand public that it would be done by the following Thursday, and then you don't, then it, then it does become an issue. So. Why they made that commitment in the first place, I don't understand. I'm a huge fan of New Zealand political reporting. I think that our gallery do a fantastic job. And get He's a, about to say something mean about get, New Zealand political reporting. And, and get a lot of unfair criticism it. It comes. from armchair critics you know, on Twitter and oh, on the internet. Twitter. Bastards. Toxic. But, but what I think, toxic. one blind spot I think that 
our political media have and our media in general is that they vastly overestimate how much the public in general care about whether there's a government this week or next week. Um, I just you, I don't see it in sort of day to day life except that it gives people something to talk about. Um, you know, m- most people are not. I'm desperate to know the name Agreed. of the new minister of commerce so that I can write to them with my concerns about you know regulatory reform. They, it, just, it just doesn't impact on people in that way. Um, and I think this idea that the difference between sort of three weeks or four weeks is a little overstated. The truth is, it was kind of cool not having a government. It was like. You know, when you're a teenager and your parents like leave you at the house for the first time when they go away for the weekend. <laughs> it doesn't mean and you like, can oh do shoplifting in about. No, not shoplifting, <laughs> but you can have a party and have your friends over to get drunk and clean up the next day and everything's right. fine. Like you can be trusted Actually, to have a little bit of a knees up and not wreck the country. Mm. And that's what we did and that, I quite liked it. That's an important point for the thousand or so people who work in parliament, which is during that caretaker period you're actually constitutionally forbidden from doing any work right which is like that is a chill time yeah, yeah. I, I, I did one between, <laughs> between elections still. Yeah. and um and it's great but yeah you're right when winston introduces that level of uncertainty where he could be making the decision tomorrow becomes very difficult to plan going out and getting drunk yeah because you need to be on top of your game the next day so i think in that respect certainty is very important and <laughs> for our hard-working exactly public servants. and i have to say a nightmare and as a producer in terms of trying to get panels up for the you know for for the weekend and you're like do i need one on the government or what and then it yeah was a little bit painful the struggle is real we've got this far without touching very much on the prime minister elect or the prime minister presumptive or whatever we call it jacinda ardern is going to be the prime minister that's amazing it is amazing it's um it's amazing and it's going to be a hell of a task isn't it it's a big task, all right, yeah. Um, but, you know, I think she's really proven herself over the last couple of months. She's she's smart. She's got great emotional intelligence. Um, I, I, you know, I think she'll manage. Amazing stamina as well. I mean, those, that campaign stamina. is... Amazing stamina. I went for one day and I was fucking exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just watching. Yeah. And, look, something that people forget is that there isn't a lot of experience in Labour from the, you know, Prime Minister-elect down. Um, but our system is actually set ministerial up to... Ministerial experience. Ministerial experience. Yeah. And, but our, our system is set up to accommodate that. You know, th- this is the whole point of having, um, a, you know, a permanent civil serv- or p- permanent public service, having a Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. You really can just go in, go down and slot in. Um, obviously, you know, your personal attributes are very important to how you perform in the role. But the, the, but the you know when people bring up she's thirty seven she hasn't been a minister before none of that's really relevant it really just comes down to you know do you have leadership characteristics mm. she does um, can you bring people together can you lead your your government and you know I don't think Jacinda will have any problems in that respect and she's got some good people around her too to give her you know to, to mentor her and guide her like Annie King and even having Winston I think. Um, will be good for her as well, someone old and savvy and, you know, experienced. Mm. I think I, I think that's um, not a bad thing at all for her to be in coalition with someone like like Winston. And he's right. cl- he clearly likes her and he backs her and he yep. said so yesterday. So I think, you know, it could it could well be the making of her. Well, the, the other thing is, I think, 
we saw in the campaign, the more people saw Jacinda, the more they liked her. And I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find a, a more likable person in New Zealand mm. in general, <laughs> you know, quite aside from politics than Jacinda Ardern. Um, so I don't think she'll have any problems. You know, people people talk about the um, the legitimacy issue in terms of the second second largest party mm. leading the government. Mm. And, you know, remember in the last polls before the election, Bill English was the preferred Prime Minister, but I think we'll see that swap around quite quickly. I think, too, the risk has been overstated and we've had the whole, you know, three-headed monster um, line rolled out. But, I mean, National, their governance arrangement was a four-headed monster, one that wore a bow tie. One one really, really big head and a lot of little tiddly biddly heads. That's right. But I think, you know, the Greens seem to be an incredibly sensible, pragmatic party. I don't think they're going to want to do anything to... Really? ..to, um, to rock the waka. Really? Um, yes, I think so. Mm. Um, well, th- you know, they're very ideologically driven and... Quite and they're not. Though, they're very principled. Um, and Winston isn't going to want this um, this coalition to, to come undone on his watch, particularly if it is his last mm. dance, which mm. we understand it is. So I think all three parties will be working really hard to keep it together. So I think perhaps the risks have been overstated, and it's still going to be challenging, but I think she's probably up to the task as much as Battles anyone. Battles within the New Zealand First caucus over the succession, a couple of... Uh, Backbench New Zealand First MPs whose names we've never heard who go a bit AWOL. Greens so principled they cannot uh, afford themselves the pragmatism of voting on issues they don't approve of. I don't look. I don't know about that. I mean, one of the one of the concerns coming in for Labour <coughs> was that they actually didn't have enough talent to really create a, a very compelling cabinet. Um, I think, in to a large extent, that's probably still the case because they did a lot of their recruitment before Jacinda Ardern became the leader and before they went up in the polls and that attracts the sort of that that affects the sort of people you can attract onto your list um so the Greens and New Zealand First MPs won't just be making up numbers I mean if if the Green ministers I assume there'll be James Shaw, Julianne Genta and what either Madame Davidson or Eugenie Sage um you know those are very capable people Mm. who will make very good ministers and could you know could easily slot into a cabinet place uh if they needed to and could handle major portfolios um New Zealand first you know Shane Jones you know he's had his issues in the past but he's he's a very smart guy and a very capable politician Ron Mark is a capable politician Tracy Martin is a very very good operator and so these won't be sort of weak links or making up the numbers these will these will be people who actually play a full part in government Hmm. I'm mostly excited about Trevor Mallard as speaker oh my god (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Forty-five minute long treatises on the historical revisions of standing orders. The 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 redemption of Mallard. Amazing. Mm. Mallard was a really good minister under the Labour government, um, and he's he he is somebody who took opposition very hard, and it wasn't good for him, um, and he just became a bit of a crank on Twitter, I think. But um, but now he's having the opportunity to sort of redeem himself. And um, do you think he'll bring it like a set of points of order? There'll be like arm wrestles and he he's a he's a very good assistant speaker. He um, yeah he has the the the, the, and he knows it inside out right. He knows the rules inside out. There is this incredible disjunct between sort of how Mallard 
conducts himself generally in the house and when he's yeah. in the speaker's chair. Yeah. And he's he he'll be a, he'll be very good in that role. I'd say probably better than David Carter was. Um, yeah. Um, um, and you touched on it earlier, Ben Thomas, this question of the size of the opposition. You know, people saying it's we're a formidable opposition. How many seats? Are, well, uh, 56? 56 for national. A 56 seat opposition, single party opposition with what's the other, what's the guy with that's got the, what, the one party? And, and David Seymour. David Seymour, And um, the, 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 um, the, the, this wall of sound, right? I mean, the, they 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 they've got some issues and we'll come to that in a second. But how much of a how much of a challenge is it going to be to try and command with that opposition coming at you all the time? So it presents it presents a challenge for Labour in the sense that they have to keep three parties together just to be as big as their opposition party, right? And there are all sorts of arcane procedural things that affect the way you can get legislation through in the House that are affected by that. Things like the business committee where where all the parties basically have to agree on something. So National only has to turn up, whereas Labour has to sort of muster all of its partners to be, you know, on the right page. It also affects things like questions in the House, where the number of non-ministerial MPs is what dictates how many questions you get to ask. So because National was so much bigger than Labour in the previous terms, National actually got as many opportunities to ask what they call patsy questions, or mm. just opportunities for ministers to talk about how great they are, yeah. as Labour did to actually hold the government to account. Now National will actually have you know, three quarters of the questions right. every which is fine, every question. Really. Oh, which is fine. And, and in theory, they should be able to coordinate those better to put more pressure on Labour. Um, in order to take it, and, and also National will have more people on select committees, um, which means that they have a better chance to shape legislation before it goes back to the House and change government legislation. Um, so there is a big opportunity for National. Doesn't mean that they'll take it. Um, they'll need to sort of really focus on their house management, you know, and, and Labour will have Chris Hipkins probably as their leader of the house, and he's a very canny guy who's got a lot of experience in that, piloting through legislation. Um, so, I don't, you know, the, the, that is the major challenge. But I think this monster opposition has been a bit overstated um, in the sense that as large as you are as an opposition party, your resources are nowhere near that of a government. Mm. Um, you know, if they have a large leader's office of about 30 or thirty people, that's only as big as the Prime Minister's office, and that's basically all of their political staff. Um, so they lose all of their ministerial press secretaries, all of their ministerial advisors, and that's, that's dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Um, you know, the, there is no comparison between the resourcing for opposition and the resourcing for government. So I, I don't think it will be as much of a challenge as some people are painting it. I'm interested to see too, um, you know, will there be a mass exodus from National um, sitting on the opposition benches? I don't imagine will be particularly appealing for a number of them. So mm. will we see an exodus of the old guard and then a whole lot of sort of newbie um, yeah. MPs come in who, you know, aren't great at, you know, uh, at debating and asking questions and that sort of thing, well, um, th that that may water down how ferocious this um, the op the opposition is. I, I think that's a really important point because some people have said, well, there'll be all these former ministers who'll be able to really rake the new government over the coals. Well, actually, if you look at 
the cabinet over the last three years, you don't see a lot of people who were really on top of their portfolios. Mm. You actually see a lot of people who were very dependent on their staff and their officials and their departments. Mm. And once they're stripped of that, you know, I mean, I, I can't see any way that Jonathan Coleman is going to be able to hold the new Minister of Health to account on anything. Mm. He inherited a no, portfolio that was completely trouble-free and turned it into a basket case. Yeah. He'll be the leader. Yeah. He won't have to do that. He'll be leading, <laughs> surely, the National Party. But, but, but what I'm, you know, I, I think Jonathan it's very... Jonathan Coleman, Nick Smith, um, maybe Jerry Brownlee even, those guys all hold seats, though, don't they? So they're not... That's you know, right. They, they won't be going on the list. You know, it does create. It's not as easy as just going. Oh, and look, I think. See th- you guys. Someone else slots in. And mm-hmm. I think a guy like Coleman would probably be uh, appalled to hear oh, you re- yeah, hear you referring to him as the old guard. <laughs> I think last you did that. Last you were the one who referred to him as the old la- guard. I, I was referring to him as a former minister, but I mean, I, I referred to him as the future <laughs> leader of the national party. <laughs> <Jesus>. Um. <laughs> Sorry, but, I, but I, I mean, I think there will be some departures. Carter, David Carter will leave. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some people, you know, and English is one of them, who might feel that they've done all they need to for the country. Um, my old boss, Chris Finlayson, I don't think he's got anything more to prove in the treaty settlement yeah. space. Yeah. Um, he's a list MP. Yep. You know, maybe he'll yep. go. Yep. Do you and think then, he'll then, be for dis- example, With Bra- Brownlee is another guy. I think Brownlee has really made a pretty huge contribution to the country. On the other hand, like you said, he holds an electorate seat, so it makes it a bit more difficult for him to But retire. there's definitely a way of doing some rejuvenation while having this huge um, wedge in the, in the house, huge, huge chunk of the house, and to bring in a new group of people without sort of having to mix around much with your shadow cabinet. Sorry, Annabelle, you can say something. Oh, ben, I'm just curious. Will Finlayson be... Because he was such an effective... Um, treaty settlement minister, do you think he'll be disappointed that he wasn't to get uh, able to get Ngāpuhi over the line um, before they got kicked out of government? Well, I would assume that I assume that he would. I mean, he he um, you know he takes all of that all of the every settlement very seriously, and obviously Ngāpuhi is the is the last really big one. Mm. I think. Um, but I think what one, but I think what's important in the treaty settlement space is that it's in a different kind of place to where this national government inherited it in two thousand and eight, where really the, you know, Doug Graham kicked off the process in the nineties, then then Labor came into power and just sort of stalled the whole thing, yeah. and it really just kind of sat at sea for a long time. Mm. Michael Cullen came in and really jump started it, but there wasn't a lot of. Um, it wasn't very systematic. It was very ad hoc. So there were a lot of balls in the air, um, but it wasn't being done in a sort of very effective way. And whereas now, you know, there, there is actually a program with its own momentum. Mm. Um, so I think that whoever inherits that um, inherits that portfolio won't have to do anywhere near the amount of work to to, to kind of keep it keep the process going. Mm. Um, you know, as we sort of we're not. It's nowhere near the end, but it's probably in the last sort of, you know, third or quarter of, of the entire process. What does it look like with a Labour New Zealand First Green Party more generally for Te Ao Māori and well, one of the things that's one of the interesting things that's come out of this is uh, the criticism was made by the Māori Party and their supporters, you know, after the election that... Um, Māori hadn't voted strategically and that um, 
Labour's Māori MPs were going to be impotent, sitting on the opposition benches, not achieving anything, and that Māori had lost their voice within government. And I think what um, what Peter's decision shows is that actually every single one of those Māori seats were absolutely crucial in Labour's ability to form a government mm. with with New Zealand first, you know, they picked up two votes in the special, uh, two seats in the specials. If they hadn't have picked up Waiariki, if they had lost Yetaiho Waiuru to the Māori Party, then um, their ability to, to, to form a government would have been negligible. So actually what it shows is that um, Māori did vote strategically. They voted the National Party out. They voted the Māori Party out to ensure that um, National didn't have the ability, yeah, any potential coalition partners to form a government with. I think the Māori Party failed to convo convey clearly to Māori voters that they were willing to form a government with Labour. They say that they did, but they didn't. And when you go back and you listen to some of the interviews, it was clear that um, certainly Te Ururua's preference was to get back in bed with National, and that wasn't acceptable to Māori. Calvin Davis and them ran, you know, took a huge risk pulling themselves off the list, and I do think that had Andrew Little remained as leader, um, those Maori seats wouldn't have gone back to to Labour. I mm. think, you know, potentially Te Taitokero could have gone to Hone, um, but um, think, and I think certainly Waiariki would have... He could have been a yeah. parliamentary undersecretary. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, Waiariki would have gone back to Te Ururua, yeah. but, um, but, but Stardust, the Stardust did a lot. I think um, it'll be really interesting to see what plays out over the next term in terms of um, Te Mātāwai, the, the, the Māori Language Board, which is basically one board to rule them all. They get to appoint board members to, Māori, to the Board of Māori Television, to Te Taura Whiri, to Te Māngai Pahu. It'll be interesting to say, see what, if any changes, happens there. What will happen with Te Tumupairoa, the Māori trustee? What will happen to the Māori Land Service? Um, what will happen to Māori Television and Māori Broadcasting? What changes we see? Who becomes the Minister of Māori Affairs? I was just going to what ask will happen who to Fano Ora. I mean, I mean, what will happen? Labour is in coalition a... with a party that is determinedly against Fano mm. Ora. Is determinedly against any race-based policy. Yeah, will there still be a minister for Fano Ora? I can't imagine that there will be. So I it'll be. Think you'd have a separate one. Mm, it'll be interesting to see what what happens there. I mean, the seats are safe, right? So that that's already come out that it, the the, the, the the seats are safe. Was, oh, that was one of the first things he did immediately after the election was give the interview to the Australian journalist saying so that, that was less of a mm, yeah uh, yeah which is part of the reason too why I think that it was quite clear from mm. the outset that um, his preference was to get in bed with Labour. Who do you think will be the Minister of Māori Affairs and also Minister of Treaty Settlements? It's, a, it's, a bit of, it's not clear to me I would have thought Kelvin Davis would be Minister of Māori Affairs? I would have thought so too. There's rumours circulating that Calvin um, doesn't necessarily want Māori Affairs and wants um, corrections. I would have thought, if not, if not Calvin, perhaps Nanaya. Yeah. Um, obviously Nanaya can't do... Ah, uh, good question. What did you say? Where do you think Willie Jackson fits well, in? Well, he's invested yeah. in whānau order, so I would imagine yeah. that he right. will be doing whatever he can to, you know, to protect... The and interests of whānau order. And the other thing is, Kelvin Davis may or may not be busy as Deputy Prime Minister. We don't know yet. 
Yeah, but Winston's going to take it. Of course, he? Winston's, Winston's going to take, take it. it. Yeah. He's just going to just going to think about it for a minute. I but don't think he necessarily really? will. Really? I really don't. No, right. I, I think that he would probably be happy with something like regional development or they could have both because rail or deputy prime minister isn't really a job, is it? It's more a you know. It's well, I don't more think a it's a. I think it's probably a good thing for Jacinda if he does um, yeah. act as deputy prime minister. Um, I'm not sure that Calvin is, you know, deeply invested in, in getting that role either. So yeah. I, I really think that, you know, it's all up in the air at the moment. Um, as we as we speak, uh, Labour are meeting in caucus to vote for who will be their their cabinet ministers, the people who will fill those roles. So so we'll we'll you may know by the time you listen to this whether Woody Jackson is among them, whether there are any other new faces. I mean Someone like Kitty Allen, who first term MP but has been doing a candidate diary for us, is a clear star, and maybe inside cabinet would be a, a reach too far. But so, there are a few people like that on the emerging new people who could could end up outside cabinet with sort mm. of associate roles. Maybe I hope so. It would be nice to see some of those um, f- fresh faces, but it, people who are you know very skilled and knowledgeable in their different areas of expertise um, get, get some sort of influence over what happens in those portfolios. I would have thought that of the newcomers, probably Greg O'Connor is the best bet yeah. for a cabinet place, either in police or... Yeah. He said know. he doesn't want police though, eh? Yeah, I mean, Nathan Guy never wanted MPI because he didn't want to be typecast as a, as a farmer, but... You know, you <laughs> you could imagine O'Connor being given something <laughs> you, like you, ACC. You, you take though, what you get. You know, you know. Um, let's wind this up. But before we do, um, we haven't talked about uh, Bill English, who led his led a, what everyone thinks was a a, a a very strong campaign, outperformed expectations, got up again, and um, you know did well and gave gave last night a, a very gracious and impressive concession speech. Um, does he stay as leader or does he go? What do you reckon? What are his options? Like, I, I don't know. Uh, he's been in Parliament such a long time. What, 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 what would he... He's still only 50, 55, isn't hmm. he? Something like that? Oh, look, he'd have a, he'd have a, he's got time for a whole new career after Parliament. You know, you could easily imagine him on sort of the, you know, the, some position of the World Bank or the IMF. Um, you know, or if he wanted to do the kind of John Key thing and go onto these corporate boards, um, you know, Jenny Shipley. Deputy, know, would would, would the World Bank <laughs> want him if he has like an, uh, miscalculates an eleven billion dollar hole? He's kind of done his credibility some damage there. Yeah. He might need to do some um, extra maths tuition courses. Yeah, but but surely there must be. I mean, I think I think he could probably hold on if he wanted to. You know, although there will be there will obviously be people who will be keen to. No, nobody could challenge him within that party. But he, he got forty four percent. He's he was the preferred prime minister yep. the week of the election. Yes, um, there is abs- You know, you you couldn't topple him and replace him with some someone like yeah Jonathan Coleman, who the public has never heard of. But there could be a, there's an the argument that there's and an who's argument clearly that, so inept. <laughs> there's an argument that if you do it, you do it now. Right? No, I, I actually think that's wrong because, and we saw that with Phil Goff. Um, you think the trick Helen is to Clark. do it two months out as you said, right? Well, <laughs> do, do, just wait till. Keep it a secret. Yeah, I mean. Nikki you, K, it's going to be you, but not until 80 days out. <laughs> you absolutely don't do it immediately because all of the focus and all of the oxygen and all of the attention is going to be on 
our new, fresh, exciting Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, that no one's going to get any kind of look in for media attention or public interest in the first year that Jacinda is Prime Minister. I mean, being a first-term government is fun. (laughs) You know, I I came into the national government, you know, uh, to work for them uh, in, in their first term. And, you know, even the contrast between the first term and the second term is huge. Mm. Anytime there's a problem, you can fix it by saying, I can't believe the previous government let it get to this state. We are going to fix it. Nine long years. And and people are satisfied with that as an answer for at least another three years before they check in again and (laughs) suddenly become less satisfied with your progress. I'm really, uh, in, in in that regard, I'm really interested to see what sort of access the media are going to have to ministers because my personal experience has been over the last nine years that um, it's incredibly difficult to get a national minister to front on anything. And um, Paula Bennett being the prime example, she turned us down for something like 28 weeks in a row for an interview and still to this day refuses to come on the programme, which makes it really hard to do your job adequately as a... As a journalist, and in terms of the OIA, the Official Information Act, and the way National have treated it with utter disregard, um, it'll be interesting to see if there's a change of culture um, within Labour in terms of how they engage with the media, whether or not they um, allow themselves to be held accountable, and how they um, manage OIA requests. So what there, there won't be a change of the general trend of the culture, but what there will be is there will be a sort of spike for that first term in terms of being friendly with journalists, um, in terms of making information available. We had that under National. You know, the, the, the only... The, the funny thing about the National government and its, you know, currently appalling, you know, conduct under the OIA is that the only official communication that the national government ever sent out to its staff about the OIA was, you know, do these in a timely fashion and be and be helpful to requesters right at the beginning of the government. And everyone was, but then what happens is, you know, you kind of, you let things slide and you sort of realise sometimes it's a bit easier to just leave things for the full 20 days and that kind of thing. So I think we'll see the same thing again, which is that for the first three years in particular, ministers will be much more forthcoming with the media, much more forthcoming with information, um, because the media and the public are glad to hear from them. They're new and they're fresh. And it, it's a good time for everybody. I mean, you know, I mean, Wellington will be sort of a buzz from now until the end of the year, um, you know, with and it'll culminate in a big press gallery party where everyone will sort of get drunk and all the new, new MPs and new staff will be down there. And it's sort of like, you know, the credits rolling in a high school movie or something. But, you know, it's, it's actually, it's, you know, it's an exciting time to be down in Wellington at the beginning of a new government. And there is a lot of positivity around. And in terms of things like you were talking about, like the OIA, sometimes it is actually just a good thing to get a fresh start yeah. with a government. Ben Thomas is having a good idea. It's an exciting time. Um, let's uh, say goodbye on that note. Uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thank you, Ben Thomas from Excelium. Thank you, Annabelle Lee from The Hui. Uh, and thank you... I've forgotten. Waimehia. Waimehia. Waimehia Rose. Thank you, Waimehia Rose. Thank you, Madeline Chaplin. Thanks, Madeline Chaplin. Thanks, Mad. <laughs> Chapman. Uh, just turn it off. Make it stop. Make it stop. <laughs> Thank you.
Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.